Today's scripture includes a reading from the book of Micah, where we learn what we can do to be in close relationship with God. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you, mountains, the case of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? In what way have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised. What Balaam, son of Beor, answered me, and what happened from Shittim of Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord, and by myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has told you, O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God? The word of the God for the people of God. Thanks, Peter. Can we give... Sometimes these scripture readings, they've got the, the Bible names in them, and he nailed them. Can we give Peter a hand for, like, nailing those names? Uh, good morning again, friends. I don't think I introduced myself earlier. I'm Christian Kuhn. I'm the pastor here of this location. My uh, pronouns are he, him, and his. Uh, and again, it's great to be with all of you and great to be with the folks uh, online as well. So um, some of you, uh, maybe a majority of you, both here and online, have gone through what we call starting point. That's kind of our intro to who we are as a community. And whenever folks go through starting point, I have them go through an exercise where I have them draw a picture of a house that they grew up in. Uh, some of the renderings are excellent. Some of them, you know, you get a blue ribbon for trying hard. Uh, but they all draw a house that means a lot to them. So the reason I have them do that is because that's one way that we talk about grace. Grace is one of the foundations of who we are as United Methodists. And the Methodist movement, as we've talked about, was founded in the 18th century in England uh, by, among other people, a guy named John Wesley. And grace was very uh, important and key for him. And so as a way, he saw grace being lived out in three different ways. Uh, prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace. All very fancy theological words. Uh, what does this have to do with a house? So prevenient grace, Wesley believed, was a way of saying that uh, God's grace is there welcoming you, inviting you, reaching out to you even before you know it or acknowledge it, like the front porch of a house. Sometimes perhaps we may think, or maybe you grew up in a tradition thinking, I've got to do X, Y, and Z in order to receive love and grace from God. But Wesley said, no, that grace is there even before you know it or acknowledge it. So that's prevenient grace. And the justifying grace is kind of like entering into the door of this house. When you enter into a relationship with God, you 
uh, know who God is, you believe in that love and grace, and so you realize that on the one hand, we are wonderfully and beautifully made. On the other hand, we also fall short and mess up and are sinful, and so we need that grace and forgiveness. So we enter into that relationship with God. We enter into that house. Now, in some faith traditions, they make a really big deal about making that decision. Some people know, I accepted Christ in my life on this particular date, or they had a baptism or something like that. Wesley believed it doesn't stop there. But then there's another kind of grace called sanctifying grace, that grace continues to work on us so that we begin to have our hearts formed so that we love God and love neighbor with all that we are and all that we do. So if any of you are on like the Trulia app or the Zillow app, and so you like to kind of look at what houses are for sale and you like to explore how many bathrooms and bedrooms do these homes have, uh, Wesley said, that's sanctifying grace. You're entering into this house and you're checking out all the rooms. You're looking, looking to see, does the basement leak? Uh, you're looking to all of these things. That's the kind of grace that God continues to work on us after we have entered into that relationship. It doesn't stop there. So two ways that Wesley talks about that are what he calls acts of mercy and acts of piety. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. All of this leads into what this sermon series is about that we've been calling both and and we're talking about what does it mean to be methodist people often will come to this community and they have little to no experience of what it means to be united methodist so we're trying to take this sermon series to at least do some very brief explanations of what we think it means to be methodist and we take two things that sometimes people will say you've got to be one or another so two weeks we talked about faith and works bringing both of those uh, together. Last week we talked about what does it mean to be personal and individual, but also in community and bringing both of those together. Today we are talking about acts of piety, and these are things that we prayer, Bible study, going to worship, and acts of mercy. That's the things that we've already talked about in worship today. Allie going to that conference, or the work that we do with Proviso Pantry, or the community fridge, and bringing both of these together. Both of them are necessary. And this also lines up with this passage that uh, we read today from the book of Micah. So just a little bit of context about this passage from Micah. Most scholars believe that it was written in the 8th century or so, uh, BC or BCE, uh, at a time where there were a lot of nations around Israel were flourishing and Israel was not. And Israel has kind of a beef about this. Like, hey, God, where are you in the midst of this? Seems like everybody's doing well, but we are not. What's going on here? It's almost set up like a trial of sorts. And so God responds, we read in this text today, God responds to Israel saying, um, hello, have you forgotten all the ways that I have delivered you? Have you forgotten all of the things that I have done to you? And then God says, all right, well, you feel so strongly about this. Let's hear your case. Tell it to the hills and mountains after God has already reminded Israel of what God has done. So Israel essentially says, well, what do you want from us? What are we supposed to do to make you happy? And then they go through this list of things. Are we supposed to give you burnt offerings with calves? Are we supposed to give you thousands of rams? Are you supposed to give, give you 10,000s of rivers of oil? Our firstborn child, Israel is kind of going off the rails here. What are we supposed to do to please you? And God says, whoa. Whoa, whoa, take a step back, Israel. It's not too terribly difficult, and yet I'm asking so much. 
And this is what God says, a passage that many of us know. This is what I want from you. I don't want all those empty things. I just want you to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with me. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with me. And these things, as I noted earlier, I think kind of line up with what Wesley was saying, John Wesley was saying, about living into and doing acts of piety and acts of justice. So this first thing that God says, I want you to do justice. The Hebrew word here means mishpat. And this is something that people actually do. Sometimes, and I fall into this trap too, we can talk about justice and we might like something on social media and we get angry and we complain to the skies, but this, the way this is worded here and phrased, you actually have to do things and get out there and flesh what it means to do justice, especially for those who are working and with those who are working for fairness and equality for those who are being exploited and marginalized. It's not enough just to wish for it or complain that it's not there. What God is saying, you need to do it. And we see so many wonderful examples. I, I, Allie some Kojak, when she says, oh, I don't want to preach. I'm never going to be a preacher. I, and then today, she's like preaching. And I'm like, all right, I guess I better cut my sermon short because Allie's already going to town on this. <laughs> the work that Allie is doing with the Children's Defense Fund. But then some of the folks uh, like Nicole and Gavin talking about gun violence in our communities and the things that they're actually doing to make a difference. This is what God is saying, to do justice. And this is what Wesley was saying. These are acts of mercy. This is serving God and serving neighbor. These are the things. And some churches, they do acts of mercy. They do the things like we do with the proviso pantry and filling the community fridge and feeding those who are uh, hungry uh, and doing mission trips, all these things. And some churches do these so well, and it's awesome. And then... God continues saying, yes, do justice, but also love kindness. And this relates to, I think, a little bit what Wesley is talking about, acts of piety. The word kindness here in the Hebrew is chesed. You may have heard this Hebrew word, chesed. It's really hard to translate in just a single. Kindness doesn't quite encapsulate what this word means. It has to do with loyalty and love and faithfulness. It means being in relationship with God, to love God, to being faithful to God. This is what it means to love kindness. And some wonderful ways that we can do that, as I mentioned, these acts of piety that Wesley talked about. When we hear the word pious, that sometimes has a, a negative connotation. But what Wesley is talking about, he's talking about coming to worship, having communion, praying, reading through the scriptures, fasting, all of these things are acts of piety. These are ways that we can really be in relationship with God and to love who God is and to love kindness in this way. Several weeks ago, I was um, preaching at our Wicker Park site and uh, I was kind of standing to the side and the person uh, um, Nick was there reading the scriptures. And uh, I looked over uh, Nick's shoulder and I saw 
um, their Bible. And so, Caroline, if we could show this photo. So this is, this is in real time as uh, Nick is reading the scripture, and they have taken and just gone to town on their Bible. So beautiful what they have done here. This is somebody who really is engaging with their Bible. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, sometimes like the Bible, like you've got to hold it. Like here's a Bible right here. Like you've got to, like it says the Bible, we have to be very, put it in a pedestal, don't want to crease, maybe not mark in it. And Nick is like, no, I want to read this. I want to wrestle with this. I want to love what is in here. I want to ask questions. I want to be angry with the scriptures. I want to do all of these things. This, is, I think, is what it means to love kindness, going into these acts of piety. And then the last thing that God says is to walk humbly with me. And I think this brings it all together. There's a, a quote from a biblical scholar named Daniel Simonson, and he says this, we have this quote, Caroline. He says, we are to walk with God, careful to put God first. These key verses from Micah are about lifestyle, one's total outlook on life and one's ethical values. They reject the simplistic notion that there is one thing Israel can do to make things right between God and the people. It's all of the things, one's total outlook on life. This is what it means to walk humbly with God, to be with God in the times that we go out and serve and do justice, to be with God when we love kindness and read the scriptures and pray and come together and worship, all of these things. It brings it all together. All of these things are necessary. As I was reflecting on this uh, this week, I was reflecting on my own uh, life, too, and I thought about, um, I also had a conference call which kind of brought this uh, together as well. So there have been times in my own ministry and life where I've been uh, really interested in prison ministry. Uh, and I don't want to make myself sound like I do all of these things. I have uh, gone through phases. Uh, and so this week, as, as I was reflecting and thinking, I was a little bit uh, recognizing that uh, I have fallen short myself of really being, of doing justice rather than just talking about it. But as I was thinking about uh, prison ministry, and I came across this article uh, written by these three individuals called Get on the Cart, thinking theologically about mass incarceration, particularly when it comes to the Methodist Church. And these authors said this, we believe that the health of the whole Christian community is measured by its love of prisoners. Loving the prisoner was and is constitutive of Wesleyan discipleship. Visiting prisoners was a key activity very early in the first rise of Methodism in England. In one nine-month stretch, John Wesley preached as many as 67 times in various prisons and jails. Early Methodists even accompanied condemned prisoners on a wooden cart as prison officials drove them to the gallows. They hugged them, spoke with them, prayed with them, read scripture with them, sang with them, and otherwise comforted them, often amid jeers and refuse thrown from the crowds. This was such a key part of the early Methodists. How are we treating those that our society casts aside? Praying with them, preaching 
reading scripture with them, but then also some of the early Methodists were working to abolish the death penalty in those early days as well, bringing both acts of justice and our acts of uh, piety and acts of mercy together. And as I was thinking about uh, all of this, I thought about one experience I had several years ago uh, while I was with uh, Urban Village with a young woman named Lisa. We had been connected. There's a, a organization part of Northwestern University called the Center on Wrongful Convictions. Uh, and they do work on uh, for those who they believe have been wrongfully uh, convicted. And so they asked uh, us if we would be involved with the uh, case of a, a young woman named Lisa. Lisa was uh, uh, convicted. She was, uh, her boyfriend committed armed robbery. Lisa was just there. Uh, and she was arrested uh, and was serving in Cook County Jail. And so they're asking our help to be there, be advocates for Lisa. So in addition to that, I visited her at Cook County Jail as well. And I have never been through so much bureaucratic red tape in order to go and visit. So, and this is like somebody who has seemingly credentials, like writing letters on stationery and letterhead and all of these things. I wore a collar trying to get just the right ID just so that I could go and visit somebody there at Cook County. And friends, I have never been in a more soul-crushing place than Cook County Jail. And so I thought, I can't imagine what it must be like to, to be here more than just a visit. But as I, as I was there with Lisa and listening to her and being present to her and for her, and I thought about the time, one of the times I visited her, and I took both of my hands and just held hers and, and prayed with her. And that reminded me, once again, a couple of weeks ago, I kind of led you through a brief exercise where we used our hands to let go and open them up to see the ways that God is calling us to do works in our world. And I thought about holding Lisa's hands. And I thought about all of what we are called to do. And I thought about one of these hands that held Lisa's, and this is a hand perhaps that we are called to do justice. What are the things that you can do with one of your hands? Perhaps to write a letter to a legislator or someone who is in prison. Perhaps uh, you can do research on other uh, forms of justice that you can do. And then perhaps with this other hand, what are the things that we can do, these acts of piety? What are the ways that we can pray and read the scriptures and take communion? And we bring both of these hands together as I was holding Lisa's hands and praying for her in that moment. Both of our hands are needed to bring them together in this way so that we can fully live into what God is asking us to do in this passage, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with who God is. All of these things are necessary in our own lives. How are you called to live this out? How are you called to do justice? How are you called to love kindness? How are you called to bring them together and to walk a wheel with God? That, I think, is the calling that is placed on all of our hearts. With our hands together, let us pray. God, we ask for your guidance and love 
and direction. And we pray that you would be with us, knowing there are so many, so many, so many ways that we can reach out and connect with you. Help us to be able to live this out, especially for those who are marginalized. Give us the patience to pray and to read the scriptures, to be present in community, so that we can fully receive all that you have to offer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.